The dead will walk clear. The blackest eyes. The devil's eyes. Thanks for tuning in to Body Count, the podcast for theblackesteyes.com. My name is Philip. On the line with me is Danny and Scott. And this is the place where we attempt to have intelligent conversation about horror movies. Certainly glad that you have joined us on the program. Tonight we're going to discuss the 2017 horror film Get Out, directed by Jordan Pill. The movie had a tremendous impact on its audience, a great financial success. I think it brought in some $255 million on a budget of over just over $4 million, and you can't do much better than that. So yeah, we're going to have a good time talking about Get Out. But before we do, let me bring in my co-hosts here, see how they're doing. Danny and Scott, how are you guys? What's going on? Doing fine. Everything is, uh, you know, it's still odd. We're still in the middle of this, and uh, but otherwise, uh, everything's fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing well, too. We're out here in California and um, teaching, but this is um, our last week of the semester. We're still here in the pandemic, and this is uh, finals week for us, and so I spent most of the day grading papers. Governor Brashear, the governor of Kentucky, came out today and said that May 11th may be the day when non-essential businesses can begin opening and we see kind of a potential full return, still phasing, but really getting people back out and mingling and whatnot. Has the governor of California issued anything like that? What are you guys looking like out there, Scott? Well, the most recent date that Governor Newsom has given was May 15th. And he, as far as I know, I, uh, he hasn't changed that. He hasn't extended it. But he says that one of our targets is that he wants to be able to say that we're doing, I forget what the number was, something like 25,000 tests a day, you know, that we need to really increase our, our testing for COVID-19. And I guess that um, last week we were at 15,000 tests a day and it was you know, we were getting more tests in and they were going to create more stations or places where people could go to get tested. So if we get up to 25,000 a day by May 15th, I think that's when we're going to start seeing some gradual uh, reopening of business. Yeah. And so for you guys with your school, both of your professors, uh, our summer courses at this point, I'm assuming they probably are saying all online, but is the fall, are they still talking about fall looking potentially normal or, what's, or is that conversation even having uh, taking place yet? We are, uh, are aiming for having normal classes in the fall, but no official uh, statement has been made. Uh, the University of Kentucky, which is the, you know, the, the, you know, the state college, the primary state college has said that they are planning on having classes and my daughter's actually going to be starting there in the fall so uh, we're following it with interest uh it it would surprise me if we didn't have in-person classes i don't think summer summer term will start and it definitely will be online for the entire summer yeah our summer term is online too i start teaching i teach through the summer and so my class starts on it will it's normally in person but it will be all online but our, uh, our administration, uh, like Danny said, is just um, hoping that we can return to in-person instruction in the fall. That's what they're saying, but, you know, things change almost daily, so we'll see. Yeah, well, okay, well, let's do it. Uh, Get Out 2017, that's what we're going to discuss tonight. As a reminder, we love to hear from you. Um, leave us comments, send us an email. 
Uh, shoot us a message on social media. Let us know what you think about the film, whether or not you uh, agree with our synopsis or some of our points of commentary here. We'd love to hear back from you. So make sure you do that at theblackesteyes.com. Okay, Danny, we think uh, this time, we mentioned last podcast, you were going to be up for providing the just the brief synopsis. Don't go into We don't go into too much detail when we do these. Uh, so uh, if you're willing and ready, tell us about Get Out. What What's the... What's the main plot of the film here? All right, sure thing. Uh, so the uh, plot is that there is this photographer named uh, Chris, our, our protagonist, uh, who is black. And that's not something that would be important to tell you in most movies, but it is important to tell you in this one because it does play a huge part in the movie. Uh, and he has a white girlfriend. And the movie opens with them preparing to go to uh, her parents' house and when they arrive there there's you know, obviously a little, well actually i want to i have to hit that on the way there they do hit a deer because it's a horror film and this i believe is the fifth film we have covered you know, that I, opens with a deer <laughs> being hit with a car the last time we talked about this you mentioned are we gonna every film somebody gets hit with some, a car somehow you know so i'm glad that you're the one providing the synopsis so you could get that in there all right so yeah five five deer um there, we may have to have a whole episode about it at some point. Uh, but then when they get to the, uh, the the girlfriend's parents' house, it turns out it's the uh, supposedly coincidentally the weekend of their grandfather's event. The grandfather has passed away, it, uh, but he had this yearly get-together for his friends. So there's going to be all of these older friends coming by. Um, when that event does arrive, it turns out that there's something a lot more sinister than just a yearly reunion of the grandfather's friends and things go awry. The majority of the plot is built around this interaction of the, of this black character with all of these uh, older white characters who are predominantly presenting as, as liberal uh, ideologically but you know the film the film digs deep into those kind of ideological beliefs um things go real bad and that's that's the outline of the plot without any spoilers and then we'll get into the spoilers when we get into the movie okay yeah so um, let's talk about just the overall feeling about the film um scott danny what do you think scott we'll start with you uh, you watched the film i think you watched it again today if i'm I, not mistaken so you, you've You've got at least two viewings in. What's your overall take of Get Out? Yeah, so I, I saw it a couple of years ago when it was new and, and then um, just rewatched it today. But I was surprised at how much I remembered. I almost wouldn't have needed to watch it again today because pretty much even after just seeing it once a couple of years ago, the whole thing just sort, sort of uh, was right there fresh. I loved it. I think it's a great picture. It's um, it, It's... It's got its tension. It's got suspense. It's got great acting. The story is clever. There are a few twists. Some of them you see coming, but some of them you really don't unless you've read up on it beforehand. And um, and there's great uh, comic relief going on. Uh, overall, I think it was just a well-made film. I, I liked it a lot. What do you got to say, Danny? Yeah, I'm a, I'll just jump in and agree completely with Scott on a basically everything. I also rewatched it recently. 
it was maybe the fourth or fifth time I've seen it. Cause I have taught it a couple of times in my horror film class. Um, and it rewards rewatching. I will say that if any of you out there have, have already seen it and are thinking about rewatching it is it, it is interesting to rewatch knowing, you know, where the plot is going, knowing what the twists are. It still is interesting. It's still incredibly funny. Uh, and you know, obviously the director comes from a comedy background and this film a lot more than his other film uh this film has that that humorous uh, element that you know that helps helps with rewatching. certainly it, it remains funny um i thought it had good jump scares it's not something i really that appealed to me that much but they they worked in this movie and you know the overall ideological interest you know the the depth of the movie also holds up it's it's interesting to think about and to talk about so i think it works on a real surface horror film level and it works on on sort of a deeper uh, you know a deeper text that you know it's academic level i guess you would say i watched the film for the first time just a week and a half two weeks ago so i didn't see it in 2017 i just saw it this year in 2020 and my brother and i uh, we operate a theme park podcast. We love to go to theme parks and check out new attractions. And uh, one of the things we talk about all the time is it's impossible to go into an attraction without some kind of bias. You hear something about the attraction. There's a lot of hype or there's not a lot of hype or there's feedback on Twitter and social media. In the day we live, uh, in the day in which we live today, it's impossible to not hear things about certain things, whether it's theme parks or movies or whatnot. I had no idea about the plot of this film. I didn't read the Wikipedia page. Uh, I certainly didn't know about the hypnosis side of things and this putting brains in other people's bodies. And, I, you know, I, I had no idea about any of that. And so I went in with somewhat of a, of a high level of expectation just because of all of the buzz about this movie. And so because of that, I was probably poised um, to be a little bit disappointed, which, which I was. So I definitely didn't enjoy it as much as you two guys did. It still really did. I mean, I definitely uh, am glad I watched it. Uh, hearing what you just said, Danny, it sounds like maybe it's potentially worth uh, uh, another viewing at some point just to get into it. The comic relief, we'll talk about more in a little bit, was for me very, very important, something we haven't really had in the last two movies, and I've made that point the last couple of films. There's not been that lot of breathing room for us to catch our breath with comic relief in the other two movies, and there certainly was here. Um, so, uh, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. I just didn't think it was quite, I was expecting something that was absolutely monumentally groundbreaking based on what I had heard and didn't necessarily, didn't necessarily pick up on that. But you all mentioned the, the cast performances are, are really, really good. And so let's talk about those for just a minute. Have you all seen, uh, what is it? What's the actor's name? Somebody help me pronounce it. Who plays Chris? Do you know how to Daniel... Kalua, does that sound right? I, I, I actually, uh, I think that's correct. It just occurs to me. I don't think I've ever said his name out loud. Yeah. Um, have you have you seen him before in anything or anything since? This is my first time uh, watching him perform, so I didn't really have much of a background for Daniel. What about you guys? I didn't. I, I can't think of. Um, I mean, I I was looking online after I watched it to see what his filmography was and. Um, uh, you know, there's really nothing there that that I'd seen. I thought he was, thought he was outstanding. He carried the lead very well, uh, so I look forward to seeing him again. He he is a uh, you know, 
in the Avenger or the, in the Black Panther, he is the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the leader of the, the warrior battalion. Okay. Um, which is, you know, not a, a hugely deep role or anything, but, uh, yeah, I don't think I was familiar with them before this. Well, didn't he do such a fantastic job, though? The the part that I was so impressed with him was the way that he was interacting with these um, middle to older age white people who were really giving off this vibe of, hey, we're with you, we're one of you, we know what you go through. The way he responded to that, I thought was so sincere and so spot on, uh, something that none of us know what that feels like, but watching him perform you could almost get a sense that he does know what it feels like. And he responded to those things absolutely beautifully. You, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. You could, you could read his, uh, his reaction, his emotional reaction so well to all, to all of that. There was that little bit of discomfort in his, you know, the way he was carrying himself and uh, a little bit of, well, this meets exactly the expectations I had from this party. Um, you know, there, there was a real, and there was a, there was a humor to it, right? There was just a little bit of ironic, you know, self-awareness or awareness of the situation. Yeah. I thought the performance was great. I, I really do think, Straight down the line, I enjoyed every performance in the movie, uh, including, uh, I don't know, I can only think of the actress suddenly. Uh, what's the girlfriend's name? Allison Williams' character. Mm-hmm. Uh, her, bro- her brother, who just, I hated him immediately. <laughs> like, oh the oh first sentence wasn't out of his mouth. And this, you know, rewatching it even still, uh, the first sentence is out. And I'm like, oh man, I really would not want to be in a room with this guy. He just, like, had such a menace to him. It was, I don't know, yeah, I thought all the performances was great. And that's one of the reasons that it reward, they're rewatching it is rewarding. We have seen a lot of unlikable characters in the last few movies that we have watched but Caleb Landry Jones the guy who plays Jeremy the character you were just talking about I had more of a reaction against him than I have anyone that we've talked about recently I hated his guts I'm glad it wasn't just me (laughs) oh goodness I I could and you know what I think uh I think one of the reasons why is because I think I knew a lot of guys like him in high school you know just this attitude of like you just never grow up you know, you, you, it's almost like a high school college attitude, and then it, you just never outgrow it. And you you have these people who just seem to continue to to just want to find the next thing and to be annoying, and they thrive off of that. And Scott, did you have that reaction against yeah. his character? Yeah, I really, I actually really, lo- I mean, I yeah, I hated the character, but I really thought that the actor did a just superb job. Sure. I, yeah, you know, I mean. It, he just seemed so fragile or so volatile. You didn't know what was going to come out of his mouth. And he was making everyone at the table uncomfortable. And he was pushing the envelope. Yeah, he was loathsome. And I looked him up, too, um, on Wikipedia. Because he did look familiar to me. But I couldn't I couldn't place him with anything, either. And we're supposed to understand, right? I'm understanding this correctly, because he puts a similar move on... Um, Chris at the end of the movie so Jeremy is the one at the very very beginning of the film when the person is apprehended he's the one who does that we're supposing right it was Jeremy who took the guy and put him in the vehicle yeah because he has when they still when he steals his car at the end the the helmet that he's 
Was he wearing that helmet when he kidnapped the guy? I, I, I think don't know. So. Yeah, he had I something so. over his face. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it was dark. Okay, so this is one problem about watching films in your bed on a digital device. You can't. It's hard to see everything because it was dark. You know, and I was like, well, if I had it on a sixty-inch television, how do you guys? By the way, how are you all watching films these days? Uh, are you? Is it classic TV where you got it on your your television? Or are you watching on portable devices? I'm watching everything that I watched up until Get Out. I've been watching on a tablet. Uh, yeah, I've got your exact same problem. Yeah, that's what uh, I watched. Uh, I'm in the office. I only have a few days a week. I'm allowed to come to my office. We, you know, we sort of scheduled out time that we're so no one else is here. And I was at the office doing you know grading papers. So I watched it here on a, a relatively widescreen monitor. But uh, but yeah. It, it does change it. It changes how you watch movies. Rewatching Midsummer uh, after having seen it on a bigger screen was, you know, it wasn't the same last week. <laughs> so, um, uh, this one, this one, I mean, this one's fine. It, it was not a you know a huge cinematic thing where you needed the widescreen effect and stuff. I think actually it's, it's a very personal human story, so it worked fine on a smaller screen. I've been watching mine on uh, on my laptop or my TV, but the last few on the laptop. Uh, can I just say something quick again about this Caleb Landry Jones? Because, you know, while we've been talking, I looked him up on, on Wikipedia again, and he actually has been in a movie that I've seen before. Um, there's a there's a picture called Antiviral. It's, um, it's, it's comes from 2012, and the director is Brandon Cronenberg, son of... Um, David Cronenberg and it is a really creepy body horror picture and he's the main character in that so he did look familiar to me and I just discovered why well apparently he was in The Last Exorcism which is a fantastic movie but I don't remember his character in that no I don't remember I have not seen any of our I need to because I'm a huge Cronenberg fan and just any connection to him would be enough for me to watch it Um, and I actually haven't seen the movie either, so so I have not seen him. I don't believe. Um, I will say uh, I wanted to say though uh, I actually thought he was so menacing the first time I saw it. This is just me remembering the first time. Uh, he was so menacing that I thought maybe he was the good guy. <laughs> I thought maybe he was trying to make uh, Daniel so uncomfortable that he just left. Like you know he's. And, and you know, watch it this time. That thought crossed my mind again briefly. I'm like, oh no, no, I remember everything. Oh happened. yeah, that would have been a twist. Sure, yeah. been good. Um, yeah, you know. But anyway, not not to belabor this point. But I've got three small children in the house, so watching horror films on the big television really isn't possible for me. So I think what I might do is, you know, these Amazon devices, these fires, these ten inch, the largest one they have. It seems like every other week they have a pretty massive special on those things for like 30 bucks or something, you know. So I might get one of those just to watch movies on because I'm getting older. My eyes just aren't what they used to be. I need a bigger screen. <laughs> so uh, you all could have jumped in any time right there. It's like, no, man, you're not getting old. You're doing great. Yeah. Hey, I, I'm just, I'm just a little cute there. guy here. <laughs> um. Yeah, so let's get to the obvious part of the movie, okay? The social commentary, uh, the the issue of racism that Jordan Peele quite obviously is tackling here. Um, it's from beginning to end uh, of, of the film, and I love what he does. Uh, I've got some ideas on this and opinions, but I, I want to hear what you all think. 
the first question I want to ask is, you know, a lot of times we've talked about whether it's Midsummer or Lighthouse, that that film directors will raise up an issue and they'll place it out there for us, but they're not necessarily trying to say something specific about the issue or get us to a particular place of understanding right or wrong, left or right or whatever. Uh, it seems like in this one, uh, Jordan may have a little bit more to say than, than just being completely ambiguous on the topic, but uh, when it comes to the social commentary of the film, what were you left thinking? What were we supposed to walk away from the movie thinking about racism, about white-black relationships, uh, about the subtext of racism? Because what the film obviously does not do is come out with your typical idea of what racism looks like. Uh, the, the, the skinhead who's got a, a burning cross in his front yard and is, is using every possible slur and uh, you know, just defaming, and uh, that is not the direction the film goes. It goes to the much more deadly form uh, of racism. So let's just talk about that in general. Uh, wh where do you think Jordan was taking us with this? Danny, let's start with you, brother. What do you think? Okay, I'll do uh, the most, uh, you know, the most surface level of, if we're looking, looking at this subtextually, or just, just slightly below the surface, you know, the obvious thing is this idea that uh, we kind of divide the, if we take our, you know, the traditional ideological divide, liberal, conservative, or in the, today's political spectrum, you know, Democrat, Republican, we send, see the conservative side as the racist side, as the side that's, you know, that's the problem side. And in this film, all of the white characters basically are liberal stereotypes. And what the film deals with is the fact that just because on the surface you seem to be okay with uh, minorities uh, and you know you're on the side politically of you know of, of minorities that you may not actually not be racist so it's like this challenge to people who see themselves as liberal and you've got a whole lot of characters who seem to like black people but the reason they like them is because they're famous or they're talented or they're athletic or you know all of these traits that they associate with uh or you know they're a charismatic president there's a ton of lines about obama in it that i think are all hilarious uh, i still enjoy them because i hear that from i hear that from people all the time um but yeah i think that's the there, now there may be we may be just seeing the surface and i may just be seeing the surface but i feel like that's the message of the film that that you know you, that some white people try to hide their racism in their political ideology go ahead scott were you gonna say something yeah sure okay well uh, yeah the film is um the racial tension is there from the start okay um and i i would i would say that it it focuses on or it deals with the perceptions that white folks and black folks have about each other. And it, it, it talks about stereotypes and it, uh, like Danny said, the, the big garden party scenes were all these older, richer, um, yeah, progressive, uh, white, um, white folks. And, I thought, I mean, the film was poking fun at them, right? Because they were trying to be cool or they were trying to be, um, you know, relate to Chris, our main character, and they were overcompensating. And, you know, so it's kind of funny, you know, in a way, it's kind of lighthearted. And he takes it with grace for the most part until he starts to feel that there's something sinister 
beneath it all besides just uh, racial prejudices. But I, yeah, I think it deals with I think it deals masterfully with what could be um, and what can be a very explosive subject. It, it doesn't really uh, attack anyone, but it does poke fun at the incipient or the um, underlying racial stereotypes that probably all of us have to some extent. And since I don't think we've said it, let's underline why those were more sinister. The people that were trying to relate to him on his physical nature were wanting to buy his body so they would be faster or stronger or better fighters. The people who were relating to him on his coolness wanted to inhabit his body so they could yep. be cooler so there was so you know that is the sinister thing underlying this so that makes it a pretty clear message that what might be might seem kind of innocuous and innocent kind of racism is actually sinister well right from the start when when chris comes to visit rose's family and they have black servants they've got a black maid they've got a black groundskeeper um, and Chris tries to kind of say hello and relate to them. There's clearly something off about them. Uh, Georgina, the maid, smiles way too much. She's um, just creepy looking. And um, later we find out why. And, and then the groundskeeper is even more so, even more bizarre. And, and Chris just, he, you know, he can't put his finger on it. Obviously, who would ever be able to think that these people are taking brains of older rich white folks and putting them in young black men's bodies that's so that they can continue on and and you know uh, at one point in the film it talked about immortality to just take your conscious you know sort of a mind transfer take your consciousness or your executive part of your brain and put it into a younger body healthier body but uh, yeah yeah i mean that's uh, so he, he sees the black servants that are acting strange. And then at the garden party, he meets someone that he knew or, or has known in the past, uh, another black man, young, young man, who is, has undergone this brain transfer. And he can't quite remember where he knows this guy from. And he's acting strange. And anyway, that's another key part of the plot. I think the last couple of years there have been... Um some very helpful voices who've been trying to help us understand what racism really looks like and how all of us are susceptible to this, even those of us who genuinely feel like we are not racist, that we don't have a racist bone in our body. And that was the group that I thought uh, Jordan Peele was, was targeting. Um, I've read several books over the last couple of years that have brought up this idea of what's now known as white fragility, why we are so defensive when it comes to issues of racism and and when the suggestion is made that maybe we are racist or we have areas in our life where there's blind spots about our racism, we tend to become very defensive and say, well, you don't know me, you don't understand the way I operate, you don't know the way I think. And uh, what what folks are trying to help us to see is there's there's bigger pictures, there's there's bigger issues at stake here than just you individually. It's how this all works together. And so what I found fascinating about the dynamic here is on the one hand, you have people who are saying things like, oh, I would vote for Barack Obama for a third term and Tiger Woods is my favorite golfer. And you see Chris kind of rolling his eyes a little bit like he's heard this before. They're trying so hard to demonstrate. And usually if somebody's trying really hard to demonstrate they're not something, there's a, probably a pretty good chance that there is a piece of that in them. But then how do you deal with this? How do you reconcile with the fact 
that what these people truly are trying to do ultimately is have their consciousness inside this skin. So if you were a person who was violently racist, um, would you want to be put inside someone who has black skin? Even if you have the benefits of better eyesight or strength or speed or whatever it is. Uh, the, 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 of course, the one guy says it's fashionable now to be black. My question is this. Is the racism we're dealing here with a, a little bit different than just simply color of skin? If these were the, the typical uh, racist white people like we tend to think, would they be so comfortable um, going inside of black skin? Uh, because the maintenance guy is grandpa, right? That was the at the very end when the film, she says, get him grandpa. And she's talking to uh, the, the maintenance guy who is black. And then, what was her name, Scott? Georgina or something like that? Uh, the maid uh, was Georgina, yeah. Who, who was that? Who was Georgina? In the, the grandmother. That's the grandmother. The, the grandmother, yeah. 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 So now they, they are in black skin. So talk about that for just a minute. It, it seems like we have almost a conflicting message. Well, these people are incredibly racist, and yet they're going into uh, a skin color that apparently they, are, they have a racist attitude about. That's... I find that to be very interesting. What do y'all think? Well, I actually don't think that they're racist. I don't think they're being presented as racist in the idea that they dislike people of color. I think they're being presented as they have, they bought into all these stereotypes, right? Uh, I, I really don't think their behaviors about racism. I think it's just being used as a model for real world issues uh, this is a horror film and this is a horror plot these people you know see black people as again cool charismatic uh, uh athletic in, in the case of the one who does actually buy the rights to to daniel's body uh you know he's just going for his you know because he, he's got to be a photographer and has you know artistic eyes uh, I, 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 again, I don't think these characters are racist in that most basic sense of, you know, a white supremacist or something where they look down on black people. It's just that they've bought into the stereotypical view of, of black people. Yeah, I mean, there. I would I would answer that, Philip. That there's probably different kinds of racism. There, you have the the people like the Nazis or the skinheads or the uh, Ku Klux Klan who absolutely hate people who are black or um, different than, than they are, not white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. But these folks, uh, these um, uh, rich, uh, older, aristocratic type people don't have a, a dislike of people with black skin, but they still objectify them. That's, that's what we're getting at, I think, is they still ob are seeing them by their traits or their stereotyped traits. Um, that if you are, if you're an African-American, you're more virile, you might be more athletic, um, whatever. And, and so they're objectifying them in a, in a different way, but it's still dehumanizing. Yeah, and, and I also think we can't overlook the reality here of what the, the the idea of white fragility is that we still receive benefit from being white and we receive benefit in a way that 
people of color do not receive, and we even uh, use that to our advantage, even unwillingly. We, we don't realize that it is to our advantage. What's ultimately happening here in the movie Get Out? They are controlling a person of color's body. They are now the yeah. ones in charge. They're now the ones who receive the benefit of that body. To me, that's the whole point. So the, the most ultimate example of racism in our country's history, of course, is chattel slavery. Uh, when we had control for our benefit, and ultimately that's what's happening here. It's their body, but we're using it for reasons that we want to use it for our good and for our advancement, you know. And even at the end, the guy says, hey, man, I'm not, I'm not racist. I don't care. I just want your eyes. So he, he kind of contradicts himself in one sentence, which we're so prone to do, so easy to do that. So uh, I, I, I do think there's something there for all of us to connect with and tie into is how are even the systems and the institutions uh, set up where it's just inherently in our favor, uh, even when, when, when we don't realize that. And, um, it's, it's very scary, very difficult. And something yeah. is hard for us to understand if you're not someone who is of color, which comes back to his performance. I thought Daniel did such a good job showing us uh, kind of what that looked like. Yeah, it, keep, any other follow-up to that? I keep calling Chris Daniel. I apologize for that. I have a son named Daniel. That might be the reason it keeps popping in my head. Um, and yeah, and I think maybe um, just to jump on your point there, Phil, that the that there could be it could be sort of this allegorical thing where the pill is saying that the control that the white society has over black the image of how blacks are portrayed. Um, as athletes and you know musicians or, or whatever that even, that the fact that they're that's where we allow it to be okay to be black those just those limited areas is kind of akin to slavery you're still having this it's still like a white culture having an incredible amount of control right. over them yeah well very good. Let's move into um, how this all holds together then. Uh, we definitely have social commentary taking place. Very, very important topic. How does the plot actually hold together? Uh, I, I think it certain, certainly does. As I told you, I did not going into it know where the movie was going. Um, so let me ask you first, when you all saw the film, number one, did you know the general idea of what was going to be happening with the whole consciousness and implanting and almost a Frankenstein kind of thing? Or uh, were, were you just totally clueless going under the movie? Did you all know what was happening or no? I went in and uh, just completely cold. I, yeah, I, I, had read, I had read nothing about it. Same here. My son had seen it in the theater, and he had told me that I you know, would probably enjoy the movie more, get more out of it if I, if I didn't read up on it. So a lot of times I do read like critics. I don't want to get plot spoilers in advance usually, but I sometimes will read a few reviews in advance but he said no go go in totally blind and i did and uh yeah so i i thought that really enhanced the experience well when i go into a movie like uh, a friday the 13th or a halloween or a, a, a franchise that i know has certain tropes certain ideas behind and i'm prepared for those right i went in to get out thinking this was more of a i actually thought it was something like a home invasion movie so i was totally wrong on that but I was prepared for kind of a, a straight-ahead psychological thriller, uh, which in many ways it was. But what I wasn't prepared for was this um, very science fiction-y, yeah, I don't even know if that's, th 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 this ideal of um, 
of mind, of kenosis, of, of hypnosis, uh, all of these ideas where a brain can be implanted, something that's just in some ways really ridiculous. I wasn't prepared for that. And so when it hit me, it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is kind of ridiculous, you know? And then, and then I, then I kind of got over it as the movie continued to go because I thought they did it really well. But was there ever a moment for either of you where it was like, oh my gosh, they just went so outside of the ball field that it, it kind of lost its credibility a little bit and then it recaptured that? Or maybe you didn't have that experience. Either one of you have that moment when you were watching the movie? I actually didn't, but I think that might have had a lot to do with what I did know going in. I didn't know anything about the plot, but I knew Jordan Pill. And I went in expecting it to have, you know, humor, which it does in, in a more traditional sense also, but I also expected it to be a little bit uh, tongue in cheek and have some B movie elements to it. Uh, and it, you're right, those are, it's a ridiculous plot. They are literally taking half of the, you know, almost all of the black person's brain out, leaving a little bit attached to the cortex, and then putting the white person's brain in, and it just it works. Uh, it's a it's obviously completely ridiculous and very B movie ish, um, but uh, but it worked for me. Like it did not take me out of it, and I think it's because I already I wouldn't expecting it to have a lot of humor, and that may be why I did not enjoy his second film as much. I don't think it has as much of that humor, uh, and it is also a little bit ridiculous, but it doesn't have the humor to sort of, I don't know, bring sort of balance to that ridiculousness. Hmm. Yeah, answer answer this question. Oh, please, Scott. No, I was just going to say same here uh, when I saw it. Um, Yeah, I mean, it it is over the top, but it had the tone of a movie like that for me. I, I mean, it didn't, it, it never seemed to take itself too seriously. There was always through the garden party and um, throughout the whole thing, you know, with the, with the comic relief character, Rod, the friend of the protagonist, there was, there was just such a, a certain tone about it that it being over the top didn't sort of ruin it in any way for me. So let me ask you this this question about the plot itself. At the beginning of the film, as I've already alluded to, Jeremy uh, apprehends with a chokehold uh, a person of color, and we find them later in the movie. And they have been, the, the whole brainwashing thing has taken place. Well, not brainwashing, brain implant or whatever you want to call it. The whole thing had taken place. So why with Chris then do we get this really elaborate setup? why the whole seduction thing? Why going to the home? Why the three-day uh, kind of warming him up process? Why meeting all of the folks in the, in the, in the auction, the lottery, which um, has connections to some other horror films? Why do all of that? Why not put him in a chokehold and just get on with it? Well, I, I think one of the things is that that probably wasn't any kind of yearly thing, right? They're probably doing that every month. Uh, and the the two children, you know, the, the brother and sister, are their job in the family is to go out and get, you know, people for this procedure. Uh, the son being who he is, does it the way he does it. The daughter uses the skill she has to, to do it. I, I think it's probably just a factor of the two characters personalities but i'm guessing you know this is going on constantly and we see a ton of pictures and when uh 
what was the character's name? You just said it, uh, uh, Little Rail's character. When he's going through, uh, uh, when he's going through the search of the internet, he sees a bunch of missing people. Uh, so I'm thinking they're, you know, they've done this quite often. Oh yeah, I mean, one of the things Chris discovers toward the end, right? He, he's in, he's in Rose's room, her bedroom, and he discovers like her scrapbooks or some. Uh, hidden cache of of photos and she has gone out and seduced uh, it looked like a, a number of people but i think what philip was asking if t- tell me if i'm wrong since they just they could just abduct someone and then just give them the brain transplant go straight well, not to only that. is that something they could do that is what they did <laughs> yeah, that's what they did with the one fellow right I, that's an inconsistency and in, i would say in the film that well i mean they could have you can't have much of a movie with they, they could have abducted him and still went through the auction process and stuff yes like it's yes. only the seduction and you know um, well sure but there's there's the couple of days of trying to make him believe like they're just a cool family you know well, why yeah I don't know. Is there a couple of days or is there just like that one evening? I don't know. But yeah, it was they, enough they time where could, once they, they get him to the house, they could have hit him over the head. Certainly. Yeah. Certainly. But then we wouldn't have had a very interesting That's movie. That's right. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's our job to point out these things. Well, let, let me mention this. Uh, I don't know how this happened, but it did. You're talking about somebody mentioned jump scares earlier, and there were a few. But this, this wasn't really a jump scare so much as it was me being terrified for five straight seconds and it's when the maintenance guy is running toward chris when he goes outside for a smoke do you remember so tell me if i'm just if i was just in a weird place in my bedroom at night or something but i was holding my breath and my heart started pounding however why ever i don't know but that scene was filmed in such a way it was one of the scariest things i have seen in a long long time did you all think that was really really frightening at that i remember moment? thinking that the first time i saw it and i did not this time because you know obviously i expected it but uh yeah i think there's i think pill is very skilled at you know where he puts the camera yeah how he sets up each shot uh the, and that plays out in his, like i said i didn't enjoy a second film as much but it it definitely it has some really skilled direction going on. It's just the plot wasn't as interesting to me. Um, but yeah, I thought that was a really effective scene. There's something about it, Danny, where the way that he filmed it as he's running, it looks like he could be on top of you any second, even though he's he's running and he really draws it out. He comes back and forth between Chris and I can't remember what the gentleman's name was. Walter. Um, Walter. What, Scott, did that scare you? Or do you know? Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah. I mean, it, I don't know if it scared me, but it, it, you know, I was definitely gripped. You know, it, it, what's going on? Um, then when it happened, you know, then after he, you know, passed him by, then I thought that I, I remember scratching my head, thinking, "What? I'm confused. What, what, what was that?" <laughs> we get we get an answer to it at the end, eventually. But when when it happened, I was thinking, "Well, that's completely confusing." You you weren't the only one, by the way, that. Uh you know, that took notice of that scene. It did become a big Twitter uh, uh, meme. People were doing the uh, get out challenge where they were you know, running real fast to each other and trying to turn at the last second and then they would run oh, into really? each other. And, yeah, it, it became a thing for like, three seconds on the internet. Uh, I was going to say, if we're going to talk about effective scares, I think that hypnosis scene is absolutely riveting. 
Like it is as she is putting him into the dark place or whatever they call it. Uh, and you know, he's, she's pulling the story of his mom out of him. I thought that was incredibly powerful and just, it was both creepy and emotional. And again, acting is out of this world from both characters. Um, I, I, it's one of my favorite horror film scenes in the, from the last decade. Wow. really enjoyed it and it was just as good watching it the fourth or fifth time how many times i've seen it now today uh, that really I, I, I mean the story of his mom and his guilt over it and at the same time he's losing his power over his own body he's paralyzed and i probably have a thing about paralyzation because i i've noticed that does affect me in films it, it gets me when people have and that's one of those uh, recurring nightmares that I had as a kid. It was I had no, you know, I couldn't move my body at all. But anyway, I, I think that's really, really good and shows what a skilled director. I, the first time I saw the movie, I, after that scene was over, I was sold. There was no doubt I was going to enjoy the film. What I found funny about the hypnosis scene is uh, they they come into it uh, debunking the idea of classic movie ridiculous silly hypnosis themes like you know you're you're getting sleepy you know she laughs at that that's not the way this really works and then they proceed to do the most ridiculous hypnosis thing uh you know using a spoon and as soon as you hear the spoon hit a teacup you're gone and into the sunken place we go and so it, it was kind of nice it was like a defense attorney asking the question before the prosecution can go ahead get that out there and then he ends up asking even more ridiculous questions since he's already taken care of it you know yeah she puts them under exactly like the traditional hollywood hypnotist right. horror film would do right um, but it, but it was, it was interesting. I, the sunken place again. I was not anticipating that, and that really opened the door to this pretty incredible uh, plot line of what they're getting ready to do. Yeah, and as ridiculous as that concept, you know, the brain transfer and stuff is. Think of how sinister the 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 reality of that would be. He, they're a passenger in their own body. They have to watch other people control their lives mm -hmm. and live their lives. Uh, it it's it's a pretty dark for a film that is humorous. It's it's a pretty dark underlying threat. You know, it reminded me a lot. I mean, when we we discover that it is literally a brain transfer to another body. But another thought that came up, I mean, there's a lot of movies, a lot of horror films and sci-fi things and, and books about someone being an imposter. Someone isn't who you think, you know, isn't who they really are. Like um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which has several iterations, or Stepford Wives, or... You know, th this idea that the person seems like they're normal, but there's something off about them. Their identity is is somehow hidden. And so that's it, it really uh, built on those tropes. Right. And the film is, you know, the film's loaded with tropes. It, uh, I think Phil was saying that earlier is that it wasn't something that he, he didn't really expect. He thought it'd be more uh, unconventional, but it is. It is a tropey horror film, uh, and it, it seems to be made by a guy who understands those tropes and is able to to make use of them, pervert them, and subvert them where he can, uh, where it's interesting, and, and use them just straight from the can where they're effective. You know, there's several ways that the hypnosis scene uh, could go. In this particular case, he's dealing with uh, an issue of racism, a very important global issue, North American issue, American issue. 
Uh, but there's other areas that I thought about as I was watching the hypnosis and I saw the sunken place and I watched as Chris was in torment as he was looking up and as you were saying Scott he doesn't have control even though he's conscious and he's aware of what's going on uh, I have a neighbor um, who is a paranoid schizophrenic and on the occasions when she decides that she's able to conquer this and doesn't take her medicine things get really ugly really quickly and uh, I have to keep an eye on my children when they're outside and uh, but the way that she will describe that is I know what I'm doing and I don't want to do it but I, I, I'm just watching myself do it I have no control uh, once this gets a hold of me and I just thought man what a nightmare you know what what a in some ways a living hell to have to go through to to watch yourself be a part of something that you know isn't right and you can tell yourself I'm, I'm imagining this or this is a different reality than what I know is, a re is the reality, but you have no control over that. And so there, there are some real life issues uh, where people have to experience this kind of thing. And then, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm a pastor, so I'm, I'm the pastor of the group. I couldn't help but think of something like um, the rich man of Lazarus, right? So something like a Luke 16 where you are separated from that which is good, which there, where the light is, where reality of real life is, where you want to be, where there's joy and where there's control and whatever. And you're separated from that, but you can still see it. And you, you know, in some ways, the mistake, if you will, that you have made choices that could have been different, that weren't made. And so the hypnosis, even as ridiculous as it was, in one sense, really troubled me. Uh, because I think it points to some other realities uh, that are very important to me. It's interesting that it was used in this case uh, to discuss a topic of um, racism. So I don't know if either of you know people who struggle with that kind of thing. They're in their body, but they don't have control over their body. Uh, but that that was important to me, and that, that touched me as I was watching the film that particular way. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I, I've... You know, before I became a college professor, I, I've served as a pastor of two different congregations in two different states. And you do get to meet all, all kinds of folks, all kinds of people. And yeah, I, I know folks who struggle or wrestle with different kinds of mental illness where they may feel some kind of alienation from their bodies. Okay. I think that's a thing. And, uh, you know, body sort of a body dysphoria or dis dysmorphia or whatever the terminology is so yeah i mean that's it is scary and that's why this is effective so let's think about uh yeah spiritual worldview themes that are here immortality is obviously a huge one uh, matter of fact it's it's the driving force right alongside racism how can we continue uh, to live and to live forever in a in a body that's even better so uh, when I think about this from a Christian worldview, I think of what we refer to as the glorified body. Uh, for a person who has faith, uh, the teaching is that there will be a resurrection, a physical bodily resurrection, not just a resurrection of the soul, which is immortal, but that our physical bodies also will be immortal. And as the Apostle Paul says, the perishable will be imperishable, the corruptible will become incorruptible we will be like our lord and things are different in these greater and better bodies and that of course is what this family is wanting to experience 
now on earth. All the limitations that come with the physical body, all the limitations that come with the reality of getting older. I was just joking about my eyesight not being what it was. This is what life really is. Well, wow. What if we can just participate in this wonderful uh, brain replacement surgery where all of a sudden we get a brand new body and we hold on to our own consciousness, uh, our own soul, our own way of thinking and so forth. Uh, we don't have to wait till then. We can just have it right now. And so the idea of the immediacy of that, uh, I think, is very appealing to this family and is something that the movie uh, is also uh, driving toward. Any thoughts or piggybacking on that at all? So, Phil, as you know, I, am a, I study bioethics. And as a Christian bioethicist, I'm very, always very interested in anything having to do with attitudes or philosophies about our bodies or embodiment or health and our lives. Um, so there's actually a thing. As, as ridiculous and over-the-top as this film seems, there actually is something called transhumanism. And you guys might know that term, but probably many of our listeners don't know that term transhumanism look it up google it there are real scientists at real universities like mit oxford stanford and all sorts of other ones around the world that are trying to do something not exactly like what this movie says but what they think a guy like ray kurzweil who's an inventor and futurist what he thinks we can do is that we'll be able to digitize the information captured in our uh, brain cells and literally upload your consciousness, your identity, your memories, your will into some sort of artificial substrate or artificial life form like like AI and you know robotics or whatever. So I mean, you know, that that to me sounds kind of crazy, but there are real people trying to achieve immortality just by doing that. And there used to be a Netflix documentary, I don't know if it's still on Netflix, I haven't looked in a while called Transcendent Man and it just deals with this. And you'll see that if, if someone wants to look at it, while they don't do exactly what this movie is, the theme is very similar. It's a theme we've seen across all genres of movie. Do y'all remember in the 80s, there were a slew of comedies that came out that dealt with this exact theme, like Father, Like Son, Dudley Moore, and um, the home... Um, he's now an evangelical Christian. He used to be in the sitcom... Um, Anyway, they, they had like a brain transfusion serum, so their souls went into the other one's body. You, you remember that film? I don't. Either of you? I do not. You don't remember like father, like son? Come on, man. It was the great Dudley Moore. Is that, anyway, that's th another th one of the Freaky Friday kind of movies. Yeah, Freaky Friday, exactly. Yeah. There was a slew of these uh, in the 80s. That concept uh, has been alive and well for a very long time. If I can just get into another body, one where I can really fulfill... Uh, who I am and all the potential and all of these kinds of things. And this takes it absolutely to another level. Um, what's horrible about this one, I, I don't want to be a dead horse here, but what's horrible about this one is that the person uh, is still aware of what's going on to some degree. So let's talk about the flash, you know, the camera flash uh, with the first gentleman. We don't know what's happening yet. It's, it snaps him out of a little bit and he starts yelling, get out, get out. Um, uh, presumably speaking to whoever is occupying his body, uh, assuming that's what he's talking about. Uh, and then, of course, at the end of the film, another flash ends up 
saving the day. Is there anything there that I'm missing as to why a flash is going to temporarily make this happen, or did it just seem as good as anything else for Jordan Peele? Might as well use that. I mean, is there anything about hypnosis or anything that involves flashes that historically has some kind of disruption factor or something like that? You guys know? Or I just, just assume it's symbolic, right? Because he's he's in this deep dark place, so this bright light gets gets light to the deep dark place. To, so you know, he briefly gets back his control. Uh, I assume that that's what I was assuming. I don't I don't know anything about hypnosis though. So, well, there is a. Th- I mean, there are people because the movie explained it right. I mean, the way because uh, Bradley Whitford plays the dad of Rose, and he's a neurosurgeon, and he explains this this occurrence that oh well, Logan was is epileptic. Well, people that have epilepsy sometimes are triggered by flashing light. Do you you remember that? It was a long time ago, but you remember that person It made the news who was thrown into seizures every time she saw Mary Hart on entertainment tonight. It was was a real, it was a real case, a real thing that that particular, her voice and the flashing images of the screen threw her into, um, some kind of epileptic seizure. So, I mean, yeah, lights and flashing lights can have some sort of neurological triggering effect. And I think they just sort of built on that. Yeah. My brother, I mentioned to you earlier, he's epileptic. So mm-hmm. every time we go on a theme park ride, the warning signs are all over the place. You know, if you, if, if strobe lights and things are going to mess with you. So it makes the adventure that much more, you know, crazy. Cause I never know if he's <laughs> just going to completely lose it right in the middle of the ride or whatnot. Um, yeah, so let's talk about the ending. Oh, wait, no, first let's talk about um, the, uh, the um, what is Rose's name? Allison Williams, who yeah. plays Rose. So when we begin to see her true colors, you want to talk about a complete metamorphosis. Here's a person who's, you know, loves loves this guy and sweet and kind of willing to do, even willing to leave the home, you know, because he's struggling, not having a good time. We're, wow, this is the person... And then when it clicks, she becomes a robot. Her eyes are just wide, no blinking, staring at the screen, completely emotionless. I thought, wow, man, what an interesting way to go with her. At that moment, she looked like incarnate evil to me. Whereas the other people kind of maintained their same personalities, you know? Maybe she was just faking it so much in order to seduce and win the heart of Chris. I don't know, but... You know what I mean? I mean, she just became cold stone evil once the cat was out of the bag. You guys noticed that? Yeah, that was, uh, again, really good performances. Uh, she's had a couple of good horror film performances just in the last few years. Uh, perfection, she's amazing. In. Um, but yeah, she becomes dark and almost Stepford Wives-like, right? She right. becomes almost robotic, and um, it's it's really, really effective. And I also like that she also becomes really white, like suddenly she's dressing <laughs> she mm-hmm. get rid of her hip clothes and she's eating uh, fruit loops and milk <laughs> it's just it's just really a there's a lot of really funny sort of little digs at white culture in the movie i also like that the basement that they tie them up in has a foosball table and uh, a bunch of backgammon sets <laughs> what's wider than that for <laughs> a wealthy white person's basement um, but yeah I, I agree with you Allison Williams's transformation there is great and how evil character does she have to be I mean we go through her photo album she's probably like there's a dozen guys that she's done this to she's 
got a dozen guys to fall in love with her enough to go home and meet her parents so she can, you know, you know, take take their souls. I mean, it's just in, incredible. It surprised me that that actually. I mean, there's this moment you think it's almost at the end. It, he's almost escaping. He knows there's something really wrong. He doesn't quite know, but he's trying to get out. And she's looking for her keys, right? She's going to go with him. Yeah. And she's looking for her keys and can't find them and can't find them. And then suddenly, I mean, it is a sudden moment. It's just a, a flash there where she suddenly says, uh, you know, basically, I'm betraying you. You know, I'm not what you thought. Everything, you know, that has come up to now has been phony. And she's really playing this. Uh, and in real life, she has been seducing him for the perp for this very purpose. And uh, to me, I was surprised. That took me off guard. Yeah, it's neat to see a role reversal, too, because it's always the female in these kinds of roles. Uh, th this is not necessarily something unusual. At the end of a movie, a female recognizes that she's in danger and something is revealed where she knows that, but she has to continue to act as if everything's cool. But it's usually a female, and the male is the one who is uh, the aggressor. In this way, it was reversed, which was really, really cool uh, to see. Uh, and let me just say about Bradley Whitford, right now my wife and I, are re-watching, not re-watching, first time I've ever seen it, uh, The West Wing. Mm -hmm. So it's it's on Netflix. We're in season five of The West Wing, which is absolutely beautiful, just an incredible show. But Bradley Whitfield is the uh, assistant, is the deputy chief of staff uh, in The West Wing, and he's got all those mannerisms and everything. So super, super weird to see him in this role, which is an absolute 180 from uh, who he is in uh the West Wing. Did you guys ever watch The West Wing back in the day? I didn't. I did no. not, but my uh, my middle brother is a huge fan. It's his all-time favorite show, and he talks about it constantly. Yeah, if you like Bradley Woodford, you should check it out because he, he plays a central role in the series, and he's very, very good in it. So that moves us to the ending. We are uh, exactly 60 minutes right now, so we need to wrap this up. So let's move to the, the ending of the film. Uh, the Flash is used uh, in order to snap... Um, Again, what was the grandpa's name? Walter. Well, the Walt, the, Walter, the character the guy's that he name. inhabits is yeah. called Walter. Yeah, Walter. Yeah, and um, the Flash has a little bit different take than it did the first time. He was able to to really kind of almost seemingly come back to to full composure of who he really was and what was happening. And of course, he takes the uh, gun, a, a shotgun, and shoots. Allison rose in the stomach and uh, kind of saves the day right when Rod shows up and <laughs> and he really saves the day with the absolutely hilarious closing line for the film. Um, so what did you think about the ending? I thought it was great. Uh, I, lots of times you, you back yourselves in a corner in these kinds of movies and you have no idea how to get out. But I thought this was brilliant. It was set up nice earlier in the movie. It wasn't an obvious setup where it was just so lame. You know, the thing was sitting there. Was, you know, like sometimes these these can be really lame. But it was. I thought it was really really well done. What do you think about the ending? I'd like to back up just a little bit to the to right before that scene and say that I love how brutal this entire ending is. He basically just kills every one of them. <laughs> oh yeah. Like uh, Chris kills you know everyone that had kidnapped him basically up until the point where he can't anymore, and this guy takes over and kills the rest of them. Uh, it is 
brutal how many you know bodies are left on the ground at the end yeah. of this movie and it worked perfectly for me i was ready for those people to get what was coming to him and and he you know he's been presented as a nice guy a nice guy but he is he just gets the job done at the end and, and i really enjoyed it i think the ending's great same here it, it is great but did you guys realize notice that there's an alternate ending that that this is actually not, from what i read that the ending that that's tacked on there that you were talking about was not the original ending. This is the alternate ending. No, yeah, did you guys we get... talked about the alternate ending in class and, and myself and every one of my students to a person thought it would have been terrible. So the, you know, the alternate ending has uh, Chris getting arrested at the end of the movie. Is that the one you're talking about? There may yeah, be more than yeah. One. Yeah. And, right. and that is, that would have, that would have undermined everything for me. I, I would, and that would have with what Phil was talking about that all these social issues didn't undermine it being a movie, you know, like being able to enjoy it. Uh, I think that would have, would have put the ideological stuff so much in the forefront that it would have, it would, it would have hurt the movie for me. Definitely. If not ruined it. Yeah. I think this was brilliant the way that it ended it, you know, it has a, <laughs> You know, I mean, it has a happy ending, right? I mean, all the bad guys die, and the good guy is is victorious, and he's rescued by his hilarious friend. And after a run, we've done what this four really nihilistic films in a row. So it's nice to have one that has you know, somewhat of a happy ending. There's a lot of you know, there's still a lot of pain here, but a, a much happier ending than we've gotten before. And again, just to give a shout out to Rod, um, you know, his line at the end when Chris asks, how did you find me? And he slowly turns his head and he says, T.S., you know, that I was laughing out loud. I think I woke my wife up. I was laughing so loud and uh, it was beautifully well done. The comedy was perfect for this movie and, and very just really well. It, ne it needed to be there and it was there. And, and it worked perfect. I, I having him arrested at the end because I, when the police officer showed up, um, it was a powerful moment for me. I'm really glad it ended the way it ended. But I think he got. I think Jordan got. Maybe what he would have wanted anyway, because when the lights went off and the police officer shows up, and here is a black kid standing over top of a hurt white woman, I, I already, I already thought, this. This is not going to end well because what's going to happen is what we see happen so often, which is uh, we're going to assume the wrong things. So I was already thinking that. I'm assuming you guys were too. Uh, yeah, right? exactly. And uh, though then he didn't he didn't take us all the way there, which was really really brilliant. And I think the film ended perfectly. But it, the point got across. This is bad. And if you're in that position. If you're a Chris character, you know it's bad. I mean, you notice he immediately threw his hands up. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, saying, you know, basically I surrender because that's not going to be a good situation. And it was so violent, man. Like the movie is so, it's such a great movie. At the end, when you have a guy killing somebody by running antlers through his stomach, <laughs> you, you have to have had a pretty good movie up to that point for it not to just completely fall apart. But it didn't. Uh, you know, it, was, it worked just fine, even though it was a, in some ways really silly. You know, so it was great. Yeah. I, I just want to point out, uh, Scott, you, you don't know this about us probably, or you may, but 
Phil and I are, uh, did a lot of guerrilla horror films in the past. And uh, one of the ones that I made with my buddies was a 10 little Indians, you know, everybody wandering off and getting themselves killed slasher movie. And one of our kills was with antlers, uh, <laughs> almost identical shot to this movie. So that might be another reason I, you know, that this movie immediately was one of my favorites as soon as I saw that scene. Oh, absolutely. And our movies were cheesy, so you know how <laughs> cheesy this movie must be. Oh, that's right. Well, any other final thoughts, comments, anything you all want to mention about Get Out? Oh, have you all seen Us? You have, right, Danny? You have. I have, now? actually. It was on my film list this semester to show my students. Uh, we were going to do Us and uh, Jennifer's Body as two uh, films to talk about the ideological horror and uh, but anyway, it didn't happen because of the whole thing. I had to cut, cut that section of class. Uh, but uh, it is, it, it's a good movie. It it doesn't have the humor. I, I think you both should watch it, and you may you may end up liking it. We may end up talking about it on an episode. Uh, but uh, it, it's a really well made film, and it, it keeps me interested in seeing anything the guy makes. Uh, but there was just something about it that didn't speak to me the way this one did. Yeah, I haven't seen it, uh, so I don't. Really... It is darker. Okay. And, and it's about class structure. It's it's uh, it doesn't really have race as much a, as a focus. It's about uh, it, it's about sort of American, sort of the the solidification of the American class system and how there's not the movement that there used to be. Uh, I have a few friends who have seen both movies, and they echoed really what you said. Uh, they thought it was a, a good film, still worthy uh, to watch, but they didn't enjoy it as much as they did Get Out. And, you know, what about the box office success of this film? $255 million on a $4 million budget. Wow. I mean, that has to be up there with one of the all-time records, doesn't it? I haven't looked, but it's got to be. That's yeah, that, incredible. That's old-school uh Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Or That's right. Halloween. Halloween. Halloween, yeah. The original one of those. Uh, yeah, it, it, it reminded me of those stories. Um, it's, it's great for horror. And, and, you know, we just get more and more uh, horror films uh, released right now. By big, well, not right now, obviously, but by big studios. And this is a big part of it. The success of Get Out is going to feed horror for a few years. Scott, anything else to add, brother? No, I, I just hope that uh, if, you know, if you've been with us this far and the spoilers haven't turned you off, I hope you go see it or watch this movie. Uh, it's on Amazon and uh, maybe other streaming sources as well, but it's definitely worth seeing. No question. All three of us recommend it. Well, until next time on The Blackest Eyes, we want to say thank you for listening. Again, please leave us a comment, shoot us a message, let us know what you think. If there's a movie that you would like for us to get into and attempt to have intelligent conversation on, let us know. We'll watch it and uh, we'll do our very best to do exactly that. Danny and Scott, thanks again for the feedback. We hope to see you next week on The Blackest Eyes. Until then, stay scared and be safe out there. Thank you.